Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Oh, tonight we got them. Goldie, the Sulk, and JC. And it starts right now. Oh, welcome back to another episode of A Typical Disgusting Display, podcast for writers, by writers who hate writing. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy we, I New guess Year. our last show was sort of our New Year's show, but we didn't say anything about New Year's. So right. Yeah, whose fault is that? I mean... <laughs> well, I mean, I think we could spread the blame a little nah, bit. It doesn't I, have to I be blame you. one person's show. <laughs> well, I, we should say Happy New Year to those who celebrate. I think that's the way to do that now, right? <laughs> oh, Just oh. so we're not in First joke of the day? No. First joke of the day. Yes. Oh, oh Goldie I've got pants. No. Goldie got pantsed in front of his own friend. How embarrassing. We, we're, Ref we're, comes I, on the field, his arms just going, <laughs> waving crazily. No. We're calling that back. How dare you talk about football today? Um, oh. But we are, we're, uh, we're excited. We have a great guest today, Brian Tucker, yes. who's a friend of ours, more Goldies than mine. They, they kept in touch more. I, I yes. ran out of New York City as fast as I could, leaving everyone behind. Uh, and Goldie was a little more human with his friendships. It took him longer to get out of the city. Um, we're still buzzing from our show from last week with uh, Henry Winkler, yes. who's just, he just, you know, he was... Top of the Jewish pyramid. What else yes. can you say? Yeah. It's very exciting for us. Getting a lot um, of texts about it. Yeah. Oh, really? Yes, yes. Th- that does yes. us nothing. Here's texts. how many texts <laughs> I've received about it. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure people even know I'm on the show. Oh, in my please. Life. Come on. Yeah, I love how you created a little war between you and Henry Winkler by the end of the show. But you, you felt I he was it. too nice to me and not nice enough to you. Clearly, like. he wanted to talk to you and talk to you about Tall. And then he was kind of confused by who I was and why I was there. And then not by the all. end, I felt I that it blossomed that into mild animosity between us. <laughs> Blossomed into mild animosity. That's, I'm sure that happens. Like a lot. I think we were both willing to walk away and and kind of shake hands tersely and say, "Hey, it was nice to meet you." <laughs> I think you may be putting a little more on that than was there. No, he just uh, he, only a little. If you were to ask him now, he would not remember that I was a square on the, <laughs> know, the podcast. Well, you weren't center square for him. No. Um, there was something Goldie I wanted to bring up with you. Uh, anyway, I hope you feel similarly snubbed this week. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> so already I do. I can see Brian has an aloof expression right now <laughs> in his box. Um, but the, the, Goldie, there was something that happened this week that made me think of you, and I wanted to to get your take on it because I I feel like you'll have one. You know, everybody's watching all the bowl games, college bowl games, and I was watching, you know, some meaningless car quest bowl. You know, it was just on, and it was Minnesota. Was, and I don't even remember who they were playing. How dare you talk about football this week, but please continue. <laughs> <laughs> no, college football, college football. So Minnesota was playing whoever, and they're showing the Minnesota coach on the sideline. And his name is, I believe, P.J. Fleck, maybe J.P. Okay. Fleck. It was something like oh, that. I, think I remember this. Okay, so it's P.J. Fleck. They're showing him on the sideline. And they're, they're praising him to the rafters, you know, how he's saved the program, his, here's his record since he's been there, he's turned it around, how much they believe in him, how much he loves his team. He happens to be uh, a bald, as we say in the business. He, he, as he, I say. Yes. Yes. I don't you know can, that you should okay. be he's, he's, saying he's that, but sure. Hair deficient. So okay. he, and I uh, see like the fucking little simpering grin on your face that I hate so much right now. As you say bald, and you look at me, and there's this—it's a combination of this is already of, going great of just being patronizing with a, a very poorly concealed sense of superiority and glee. All right, at my suffering. Listen, but if we go go ahead, we're our, this is already a great conversation. If we had Thank a deal you. where we could switch hair and noses, I might take that. So let's just keep that in. The, in the I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't know how you keep your head from hitting your desk. Anyway, it's hard. My neck hurts. Um, so anyway, they're 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 praising this bald coach, PJ Fleck, to the rafters. Great, great, save the program. Team loves him, fights for him, all this kind of stuff. Then. Not a minute later, Minnesota has one of their players is is injured on the field, you know, like uh, whether it's cramps or like a high ankle sprain or something. There's a player down and the announcers say, and look who's first on the field with his injured player, Coach P.J. Fleck. Only problem is it was another bald guy. <laughs> oh, no. Totally different. He, the, PJ Fleck has no facial hair. This guy had a full beard, <gasps> wow. and they were just both bald, Baldest. and they never corrected it. <laughs> so I wanted to know: Is this something that do you have you seen this before? Is this like can people only yeah, see we all look the top alike. of the yeah, head it's, and the rest? It's, of it's the... like iRobot. I mean, we're just <laughs> totally replaceable, <laughs> interchangeable components to everyone else. I feel like I might have touched on this in my book that you know. It's like you know, a wealthy person who is on a cruise ship and something spills and they just raise their hand and go, you there, and expect someone in a white uniform, and it doesn't matter who's in the white uniform, to come and make it all go away. But that's that's who we are to everyone. I No, I'm not surprised to hear that. I I, I, I get that you're delighted at it. <laughs> I wanted your reaction to it. Well, my, what you, my reaction is, well, fuck everybody. Yeah, it sucks being bald. This is what I wanted. It's, it's awful. It's, it's a life sentence. Like, no one gets out of it. No one suddenly, you know, I mean, to, to reconcile the fact Elon that Musk. I'll never have hair again. I mean... But then it, it it it's you're really choosing between like a wig, right? And ball and a, and a, and I've worn a hairpiece. Like it it really sucks. It's it really isn't worth it. 
It's a constant reminder, right? And it's also heavier than you think. It's like about eight ounces heavier than hair. So, you know, like your nose, I mean, your head is out of balance. And it it just feels different than than what you're accustomed to doing. It's it's like you know you're you're used to your car seat in the right place, and then all of a sudden you hand it to right. the valet and they change it up. It's like, but it's on your head. You can't right. get yeah. away from it. Yeah. Oh God. Well, and and to remind our fans, so you think you're going? Or is it so you think or so you're going bald? Oh no. So you yeah. think you're have, going? Have bald. you have you ever even looked at I it? I loved it. I told okay. you I read it but I read it a couple of years ago. Is it so you think you're going uh, bald or so you're going don't, bald? Don't don't care. Try to find it. If you're that interested, <laughs> try to find my fucking book. It's Fuck very you. Funny. It's not think. I'm <laughs> trying to recommend it. And I one word is off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, come back next week when you know the title. All right. All right so What's Goldie your daughter's t- name again? <laughs> well, La- that's okay. Lavi? <laughs> LaRue Lauren anyway she's a great kid I call, I call her all those things <laughs> Levine um, Goldie tell, tell us a little bit about your New Year's I think you had yeah a, so a, a, I was home with the kids and we were watching the different New Year's Eve specials so I first I turned on Hulu I assumed that would be the Ryan Seacrest one it wasn't it was some off-brand crazy bad Times Square thing I don't even know what I or who I was watching that's how bad it was. <laughs> was it some of those names that you made us guess about a couple of weeks ago? <laughs> yeah. I yes. mean, it was Philip Fallop. <laughs> yeah. It was just people I'd never seen before standing in Times Square presenting other people I'd never seen before. So right. pretty quickly got off that. Uh, then I started watching uh, Anderson Cooper and Andy Cohen. And I don't, I don't know how Andy Cohen conned everybody from becoming like a network president into letting him on air. <laughs> Uh, he's off on air. Yeah. I love him. Oh, Bravo. he's terrible. Well, I, I think he's terrible. He does these really basic talk show things that, you know, we learned our first week on Killborn. That's like he presents the guests with these games that go nowhere. Like when Kevin Hart came on and it's like, oh, we're going to play roast them or toast them. I'm going to name <laughs> names and you're either going to roast them. And it's like, he, like you're clawing well, at getting something viral. It's not working. Anyway. <laughs> So, but they go around, they go to Times Square, which is, the older I get, the more I enjoy watching the ball drop, you know, like, I, 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 I understand the appeal, I'd like to get there someday. So, <laughs> Times Square goes, and then, I think an hour or two later, did you guys see this, they had Idaho, the New Year's? No. no. So, they go to Boise, Idaho, to the ceremony, to the, and that's a nice city, and Idaho Midnight, instead of a ball dropping, they have a crane holding a giant potato. (laughs) And the potato lowers down, they lower it down into a cauldron at midnight, and then French fries spring up (laughs) out of the cauldron. That's how they celebrate midnight. So I'm watching this with my family, and I find myself, I start singing. I start singing a song spontaneously as I'm watching this. I'm watching this, my kids are sitting next to me, and I go, the baked potato <laughs> dropped into the fryer. Now it's fried. <laughs> the baked potato dropped into the fryer. Now it's fried. We got to get and this going. I get genuinely emotional. (laughs) My kids join me for a second round of this. They're higher voices. They're much higher. It becomes poignant. (laughs) My wife joins in. We're linking arms. We're almost in tears singing this song because it it, it really is the perfect summation of the year is you have this potato of the year. 
potato of the year. It becomes this finished product. There's no getting the potato back. Now it's fries. It is transformed. <laughs> and that's it. And now there's a new potato. And I, I swear to God, if anyone from Idaho is listening, and I, I already am planning to go next year to Idaho for the wow. ceremony. I really think we could have the entire city link arms and sing this song. <laughs> and it would be an incredibly meaningful moment for everyone there. Oh, that I'm is harmonize. And I'm not joking. I know. I believe you. <laughs> I believe you too. I yeah, we, JC, we may have to make like a three-part harmony yeah. of that. that yeah, we can go record that. Yeah. yeah. That, I mean, you already recorded your part. I can just, I'll just drop it in. I oh. want another shot at it. Okay, you got well, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a, <laughs> what a so joyous good. way to ring in the new We had a, a, we were with another family in an Airbnb, friends of ours. And we were trying to do that thing of like fooling the kids that the the nine o'clock was midnight because yeah. we wanted them to go to bed. So yeah. we, we also had Hulu and we weirdly did have Ryan Seacrest. Oh. Um, and they did this weird thing where we we noticed it was like two, one minute to, to New York midnight. So we were gathering the kids around. It also happened to be the exact moment of the end of the Ohio State game. So I'm like looking at another screen and Tulsa, oh. get over here. But so we, we, we all gather in front of the TV. One minute to midnight, it goes to commercial. Strange. And there's one commercial. There's two commercials. Oh, in my mind, I'd be like, the city we're, has blown up. Well, we're, we're, <laughs> we're looking at, see. we're kind of looking at each yeah. other. There were like five commercials and we're thinking, what is happening? And when they came back to New York, they had just reset the clock. So now we were like two hours and 58 minutes away. <laughs> like, so nobody saw anything and we had to quickly scramble and we found like New oh. Year's in Sydney, Australia. We're like, there it is right on time. <laughs> That's really Happy weird. New Year. Get in bed. <laughs> Uh, so that was kind of a botched Whoa. punt, yeah. Uh, which weird. I know Goldie loves the botched punt. What's <laughs> that, JC? I said that's weird that they yeah. the commercial was so that you couldn't celebrate an early New Year's. Why would they even? Bother? I don't know. JC, I don't know. Were you out or at home this year? I could see home, either. home. Oh the yeah, best. that's the place to be. That's the, the place best. to be by the fire. Ooh, I visited yeah. JC's home briefly uh, last he week, did. and yeah. JC lives in a cuckoo clock house. It's yes. <laughs> it's so just like perfect and quaint and warm <laughs> and like a forest. And then like literally, Stu looked out the window. It's like <laughs> the wind. <laughs> yeah, he opened the window and looked out. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Well, yeah. I'm glad we all had a good New Year's. And now let's ruin the beginning of this year by getting in. To Johnny Oh, the first of 2023. Here's Johnny. Oh, yes, we're not excited, but we are excited because yes. we have a, a great writer here today, Brian Tucker from SNL, Yay. many other things. We did stand up with Brian many years ago in New York City. Very funny stand up. And like the true courageous people who come on this podcast, he said, yes, <laughs> I will join you for Johnny Jokes. Uh, he knows the weekly grind. I'm not even going to say he doesn't know the weekly grind because he knows it. Um, now, Brian. Glad to do it. Yes, thank Welcome. you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for doing this. Brian, would you like to, you, we give the guests their choice in what order they want to go. Do you want to go first, last, middle? I, I think middle is good for me. 
Okay. All right. It's always that's... where I was when we did stand up. Uh, there we go. So... That's a that's a new <laughs> take, but I like it. I like it. Okay. So <clears throat> I guess it's on me to get this. Now Alex started. scrambling. He so thought you were going first. <laughs> I did. I, I thought most comics want to go first. Okay. All right. Here we go. Uh, let's see. Oh boy. Maybe you heard about this. Uh, former Pope Benedict passed away last week at the age of 95. He gone. Yes, he gone. And as a show of mourning for the rest of the week, all Vatican boys will fly their butt cheeks at half ass. (laughs) That's very crass. (laughs) I'm getting right into it. Uh, Here's another story from uh, from the Big Apple, Brian's uh, neck of the woods. Uh, Security was on high alert after TSA agents at New York's JFK airport found gun parts smuggled in jars of peanut butter. Yeah. Uh, While no arrests have been made, authorities have put out an APB&J on Peter Pan. Said they'll have him (laughs) in a And ended it with APB&J. I know. I thought about that. I thought about that. It's it's a Schrodinger's cat. Whatever you did would be wrong. (laughs) It's a Schrodinger's joke. I've been there so many times. We proved that. No, it's not you. It's literally the joke. We wouldn't know it was wrong until the audience would have liked the other one better. I am the joke. Okay. Uh, 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 Here's a good story. A, A recent article in the Village Voice... Uh, claims that the Golden Retriever is now the most popular breed with gay men because of its temperament and beautiful coat of hair, but it's also the most expensive. Uh, Well, I guess you pet what you gay for. (laughs) What's that a a spin on? (laughs) You get what you you gay for. You pet what you gay for. Guy, I get it. Okay. All right. Will you allow it? (laughs) The ref ref picks up the flag. And finally, here's a joke that would have been funny a week ago, but here it is. Uh, And let's not do the she gone here. Okay. Broadcast legend Barbara Walters passed away last week at the age of 93. She gone. (laughs) May she west in peace. (laughs) Well, yeah, there will be massive overlap. Uh, (laughs) All right. But Johnny number two, Brian Tucker, take it away. I, t- I told Alec that one of my, I've been listening to the podcast and been a fan. And I told him one of my favorite jokes he had was uh, when Ms. Magazine went out of business, uh, it will be Ms. And I feel like the uh, West in Peace is, is from the same, same the family. Same, I told him I only have I'm, one I'm club in the bag. So I don't have one to read it. I, I had the, the exact same joke. I had done it. And this is a Schrodinger's joke, just to show you that it, may she West in Peace in her grave. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, punch up. A little punch up, punch up, punch up. So now, but please go ahead. All right, Uh, I have three Johnnies, and then this might be a Norm, and then I might even have a Dave for you. Ooh, Uh, yeah, really throwing you a curveball. I love Love that. Uh, All right, so the Johnnies, Happy New Year! Maybe you watched some of the big New Year's Eve celebrations this weekend. Now this is true. Over on another network. Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve, that's right, uh, which hosted by Ryan Seacrest. It featured performances by Duran Duran and New Edition. Yep, thousands of revelers joined them to ring in the year 1987. Uh, Yes. I don't know if you thought they actually did. I like the other network that that used to be. Yeah, the the other other network. network. We can't can't mention them. (laughs) Yeah, what would happen? (laughs) A couple in Pennsylvania just celebrated their 80th anniversary. Wow. 
Husband Robert Shum said the key to a long marriage is don't go to bed angry. Shum is 102 years old and hasn't slept in 78 years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, love it. I feel like that we we've heard like a version of that. Like that's a good one. That's a good one. Good solid. This one is very writerly for you guys, uh, or hot maybe inside Hollywood for you guys. Love it. Uh, well, recently elected Congressman George Santos has been caught in another lie. Santos originally claimed he's Jewish, but now says he's actually Catholic and living in New York makes him Jewish, like an <laughs> adjective. When asked how he came up with the term Jewish, Santos said it's a title of a pilot he sold to Kenya Barris. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yes. That's great. I feel like my Johnny is a lot more of a Casey Kasem. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll yeah. take it. Yeah. Um, now, this is surprising. Brian Cranston will return as notorious drug dealer Walter White for a commercial during this year's Super Bowl. Yeah. Even more surprising, this year's Super Bowl will feature a commercial for meth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just got so bummed is... out by the premise that I wasn't going to laugh at the punchline. <laughs> I know. I remember on SNL, we, we had him come on as Trump's like uh, head of the, like the DEA or something. And we were so happy when he returned to bring that character back. And now I see him doing it and like, you know, I don't yeah. know, on like a TikTok or something. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, this one is, um, this one is kind of a Dave, uh, All Dave right. Letterman for you. Um, uh, it's been reported that Abbott Elementary's Quinta Brunson is up for a part in the new James Bond movie. That's right. They even have a title for the film, A Quinta of Brunson. <laughs> <laughs> a Quinta That's of very Brunson. Good. That's excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Well done. Yes. Well, yes. well done. Yes. yes. Okay. So pretend I give me credit for the Barbara Walters joke. <laughs> yes. Up very top. funny. I the did wave. That as well. The okay. wave. And, and, and pretend that set up the rest of these jokes. Oh. Okay. Well, <laughs> UFC head Dana White is in hot water this week after he was caught on a camera savagely slapping his wife on New Year's Eve. Yeah, the incident was so ugly and violent, White is optimistic he can profit from it. Oh, ouch. <laughs> okay. Oh. Elon Musk has lost over $200 billion this year, and his net worth is now estimated at just $137 billion. Well, Elon swears it's $5 billion more if he can just find his gray jeans. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's where he left a five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and ongoing chaos in Congress as Kevin McCarthy has now failed to become Speaker after three rounds of voting due to hardline dissent. And if Republicans can't come to an agreement, it will be unclear. Who to kill when their voters storm the House in January? <laughs> okay. Very wordy. <laughs> Overly political. And now an, a norm. Pope Benedict XVI passed away this week at the age of 95. Well, sad, at least he finally got to penetrate a hole. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, you you always crush those norms. <laughs> XVI. That's yeah, like there's the joke within the joke of yeah. yelling some term. Yes. And gray, gray jeans is I'll, I'll remember that one. That's very oh, funny. You. Very funny. 
Um, right, let's let's bring out let's, our guest. Let's jump in. Yeah, let's do it. So here's a guy we started doing stand up with in 1995. Is that when you arrived in the city? 1997. 97. You were that late, yeah, and I'm so late. you have lived the life we wanted. <laughs> you. <laughs> have had this incredible run on Saturday Night Live. You've risen all the way up in the ranks. Alec and I have talked a little bit on this podcast. We both have a checkered history with that show, where I was yeah. I was a page. I felt at moments I was maltreated. I was yeah. flown in once for a job interview with Tina Fey that went better than anything had ever gone. Didn't get the job. Remained bitter throughout the rest of my life. Yeah. Alec was the writer's assistant on track to become a writer, Regis Philbin goes on TV and says, my daughter needs a job. <laughs> and she gets Alex's job. He's fired and never gets hurt. Now, but you become a writer there and you've had this awesome career. And you always from the beginning, from the first time I met you, seemed really driven. As opposed to Alec, who seems to like just sort of land places and then rise up because he's, he's got this personality that like is so laid back. I think people love being around. He's so funny. You are <laughs> also that thing funny. He's ever said about me. It is nice. <laughs> you are also that funny, but you seem to pair it with this drive, and you almost approach it in a scientific way. And I wonder, is this conscious? Where does this come from? Um, uh, well, first of all, I appreciate the very nice introduction, and all that bullshit that uh, you guys went through at SNL still exists at yes. SNL. Um, uh, <laughs> And sometimes I am part of it. So just keep in mind when uh, that I've been there for 18 years that um, it's not all wonderful uh, there. Um, you know, so and you know uh, sometimes I wish I could have you know written on a, a nice half hour and uh, just you know laughed with a lot of my friends and you know SNL can sometimes be be tough. Uh, but uh, you know that being said, I am very grateful. I'm very lucky, uh, and I realize you know not a lot of people have a, the same job for 18 years, much less uh, a job in entertainment, much less a job on that show. Yeah. Um, as for, for being ambitious, I, I I definitely was ambitious those when I first moved to New York. You know, I um, I, I had already had some very mild success where, where I had a full-time job touring around with my sketch group out of North Carolina. And then that was, uh, um, we broke up and then suddenly I had nothing. And and you started that group in college, right? That's right. Yeah. And it was people you met in college. Was it an existing group or you guys started it? No, we all met in college working at the local student television station. And then we ended up, uh, you know, playing, uh, being a small hit around town and then around the state. And then we ended up playing like, uh, you know, 300 colleges in in wow. uh, in in four years. That's amazing. Uh, and then also the improv in Los Angeles and Caroline's in New York and the Comedy Cellar and uh, stuff like that. So did you have another job during that time or you were just able to do that? The first year I did. And then for two and a half years, I did not. So you must have thought, like, I did it already, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think nothing gives you ambition like, you know, having that success taken away from you. Um, and so I moved up to New York and, you know, I had to be a temp and do open mics. And that's what I met you guys. Uh, I talked to my wife. I said I was going to be on the podcast. And, and uh, you know, my wife knows you, Goldie, well. But I was like, and then Alex Sulkin, and she was like, did we see him at DTUT in the Upper East Side? And I was like, yes, we did. <laughs> oh, my What's God. That? Uh, it's a little coffee shop where we would do uh, a show that no one wanted to have in the first wow, one. DTUT is the reason I have a stage name. Because yes. oh, yeah. 
the the guy who hosted that show, I don't remember his name. Sean. Yeah, Sean. Sean. Yes. Yeah. So um, I was there and I was performing under my regular name. And I, I got in a fight with someone in the audience, like a heckler. I don't remember exactly what happened where I was screaming in their face or something. And the guy banned me from the show. <laughs> and at that time, you know, it was these little shows were so important to us because none of us were passed at any clubs. Yeah. And so I was like, I got to find a way to get back there. And so I bet this other comic, I, I said, this guy, Sean, is so stupid. I bet I can come back next week with a different name and he won't uh-huh. even know. And this guy, Dan Steinberg, bet me $20. And I went back the next week as Julius Sharp. I won the bet. And then I was I had so much enjoyed performing under the different name that I just kept it. Oh. That's awesome. And I'm also realizing that dovetails well with the story about you uh, wearing a toupee at one time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Very heavy. Who is this mysterious stranger? That's the, the trademark Brian Tucker comedy, which is like, the unexpected jab to the face that stuns you so much that you're just kind of like walking around in a daze. He's got long reach, just like Larry Holmes. Yeah, no, it's just so quick. Like you're like, oh, the, the bell rang and we're fighting now. <laughs> I'm like Alex Sulkin, but mean. Oh no, 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 so, Alex Sulkin, mean. So you were you were not doing stand up in college, right? You were just doing this sketch thing. Uh, I did. Uh, well, the sketch group was not. Re- it, we definitely did sketches and we did like whose line is it anyway type improv. But I also did stand up. It was like an hour show of a whole bunch of stuff. And you have a funny story about doing improv in North Carolina that the version I heard, I don't know if you can say it the way you used to say it, but it involved the audience suggestions. Yes. Right. He would ask the crowd. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, they would to, yell feel out. Feel free to uh, agree. Uh, well, I, I could, could, maybe I could help you out here, but well, basically. how about if I just, you'll know the word when I say it because it <laughs> rhymes. I would be like, uh, we need an occupation. And they would be like, how about a maggot? Um, that is not not an occupation how about a professional maggot Um, so it's just you were doing essentially for you know these what what someone from the northeast would picture a hick yeah yeah it was you were doing improv for them let me me just say i own a a house in chapel hill now uh yes um, you know i have much love for north carolina not everybody is you're from there right like you're from Uh, i'm from virginia north carolina yeah um, so, you know, but yes, we would play, definitely we would play places where, um, they did not know about improv or want improv. Um, yeah. <laughs> we played a place where we got, we, they, they asked them to turn off the world series and turn around cause, oh. uh, a suggestion <laughs> and that night we got bottles thrown at us and one of our friends or one of our group members, uh, played country songs on stage while they turned the world series on low. Uh, and that's how we completed our gig. Was it the bar from Roadhouse? I was going to say that's like <laughs> it was the a Blues Roadhouse Brothers. pipe bar. Yeah, that's like the Blues Brothers right there. Yeah. Now tell tell me tell me the name of your your improv group because I read it and I was like, oh, that's such a good improv group name. Yeah. Well, we thought it was fun at the time. It's kind of cheesy though. It was called Selected Hilarity. I'm still yes. very proud of the group. <laughs> I uh, love and it. I, my, some of my best friends are from the group, but I would not name us that again. <laughs> so I love it. Let's go back. So you grew up in the South, and I always knew you're from Virginia, North Carolina. But what what was the order of that? I grew up outside of Richmond, Virginia. Uh, I moved to North Carolina to go to college, and then lived there for a long time. My wife is from North Carolina. I have friends from North Carolina and a house in North Carolina, so I have deep ties to North Carolina. But my family is in Virginia. And this has given you, I think, a really interesting perspective that has informed your writing. Because, like, I picture your upbringing kind of like the movie The Jerk, 
where, <laughs> you know, like you have always, you know, made your way up through African-American hosted shows. Yeah, yeah. Chris Rock, Chappelle's show. And then yeah. on SNL, you forged this connection with Keenan and you've done some of these seminal sketches, which we've talked about later. But can you talk about like what in your background sort of informed this this perspective that you have that is just unique and I think has like you've really used in an interesting way and sort of followed, you know, your own sensibility to success. Yeah. Um, yeah. I get that question a lot. Like, why are you the white guy that writes for, for black? <laughs> That's the succinct um, way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you and um, Neil Brennan. I, I don't totally know. It's a lot of reasons. I think, um, you know, when you're 10 to 14 years old is when you, when you're, you're, you learn what comedy is and it's the formative time for you. Um, for me, you know, that's when Eddie Murphy, and I think you guys too, that's when Eddie Murphy was the biggest star in the world. And I yep. remember, you know, getting that delirious cassette and putting that in and just laughing until I cried. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I would come home and, you know, turn on the TV and they would have reruns of the Jeffersons and Good Times and Sanford and Son. And that's what I was watching when I was 10 to 14 years old. And I think that uh, was, you know, formative for me. And then also, you know, my very first job was Chris Rock show. Um, and then because I wrote on Chris Rock's show, uh, he was friends with, you know, Dave and, and Neil Brennan knew a bunch of the Chris Rock writers. I got hired on, uh, Chappelle and then, um, and because I had written for Chris Rock and Chappelle, I got hired on other things that, you know, ha featured black comedians. Yeah. Um, and so it was a little bit of a chicken and the egg thing. You know, that being said, uh, you know, I, I write tons of stuff for Keenan. He's like my main guy at SNL. You know, uh, we have a great history together. Um, and, you know, I also we we kind of found each other, you know, uh, as partners there. Uh, and that's been something that's lasted a while. So I think that sounds so romantic. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. It's, it's a it's an 18 year marriage. <laughs> well, that's so that's so cool. And I, so writing for Chris Rock to start with, he's obviously like, you know, top five comedian of all time. Like he's up there in the rarefied air with the Carlins and all them. What did you feel like? Uh, we talked a little bit about this on, on the podcast a while ago when it happened. So the slap on the, on the Oscars happens. And then it, it just so happened that his next live performance was in Boston. And I, we were, we, we were living on Cape Cod at the time. And I turned to my wife and said, we let's go. Let's go yeah. and see it. Like, this is a, a moment here. So we went to see it, and he didn't talk at all about it. He said it, he gave one line at the top, like, I'm going to have some thoughts on that at some point. I don't have them now. And I thought, listen, Chris Rock has nothing to prove to anyone as a stand-up comedian. But I felt like he kind of owed it to this art that he is so great at to come out with, like, I know he had jokes and thoughts about it. But yeah. it felt to me like it was a moment of like a cynical moment where like, I'm going to save this for a Netflix special where they'll probably right. pay me $10 million. Um, what, how did you, did you hear anything about like, oh, he's not telling jokes about it? And, and did you have any kind of feelings about that? Um, no, I mean, I have not talked to him about it. I, I've seen him since then, but I, you know, I, it's not like, hey, what about that slap? Yeah, no, <laughs> I figured that'd be a tough subject. Uh, but but um, I mean, just because you're a comic. I you're yeah, a very good my, comic my too. Of, of working with him is that, well, first of all, it just seems like if he went and talked about that, it would be, you know, the first thing all the entertainment writers would write. And he, and he understands that, you know, 
when he talks about it, he wants to, you know, kill it basically and and really have a thoughtful different nuanced perspective about it he definitely comes at it from a comedian's you know point of view right um and i think you know it, just from a human level like i'll bet he was still kind of wallowing in the like anger and humiliation of it and stuff and it's probably a bad place to write any thoughtful comedy about uh, yeah. That's that's fair. That's fair. I just pictured him on the flight from L.A. to Boston. Like, I know he's got five gems. Yeah. <laughs> like, <course>. you know? <laughs> well, I, I I do want to talk about the Chris Rock show because I think people have kind of forgotten about that show and how good it was. And really funny. So when you get that job uh, and, and Chris Rock meets Brian Tucker, did he know you were going to be white? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because I had already met with the people at HBO first before I got that that job. I have been hired um, on a job where they thought I was a black writer, where I just had a phone call with them. And that was a job uh, called, it was a pilot for Fox called The Real Kings of Comedy, uh, which featured a guy named Ricky Smiley, Earthquake, Niecy Nash, and a young man named Tyler Perry. Uh, And Tyler Perry and I wrote a sketch called The Pew, which was like The View, except (laughs) it was all church ladies with fans. Oh, wow. (laughs) And and he basically did Medea, and then I wrote stuff for the other three uh, people. Uh, But I remember walking in that day, and uh, the producer who was, um, I forgot his name, but he was big on, you know, he was a stand-up producer and he was, he was like, Oh no. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. I don't God. think you're allowed to have that reaction anymore. Yeah, exactly. Maybe a, maybe a spit, a spit take would have been good too. Yeah. So how, how did you get the Chris Rock job? Was it a packet of sketches or did he know someone? Yeah, I basically got lucky with a packet of sketches. Um, I had this uh, kind of small time manager who had booked a comedian who would open for Chris Rock. And so she uh, had sent in a packet and my manager said, can my other clients send in a packet? So at least, you know. Do you remember anything from that packet? Yeah, um, I think I'm in that packet. I might have written this. I might have at least outlined. It was just paragraphs. It wasn't full full scripts. Yeah. But I at least outlined this sketch called Daddy Still Has a Flat Top, which was a HBO <laughs> after school special. Uh, I love that title. Was probably, which, which was my favorite sketch that I wrote for Chris Rock uh, for the Chris Rock show. So, yeah. so from there, you, you, you had a couple seasons, I remember, and you, you got yeah. Emmys there, right? Nominated, but, nominated. but not get it. Yeah, so, lost to Saturday Night Live. So oh. you've now both lost and won Emmys. I've never won. Uh, oh, you I'm haven't. Nominated, yeah, fifteen I'm or sorry, sixteen times and never won. That's okay. No, I didn't. Always oh, the Susan Lucci of comedy writers. Know, right yeah. Here. Well, S- people don't want to give uh, SNL any Emmys for the writing. It's just. It's just how it goes. I hate. To I know that's so strange. I, yeah. You must have feelings about that because we, you know, obviously at Family Guy, we uh, get similarly enraged. Although yeah. I don't think we think about it anymore because we don't even get nominated, and yeah. we feel like, hey, we're writing funny stuff. But SNL absolutely writes hilarious stuff. Yeah. You know, w- weekly. Forget and, about yeah, only the, every season. Yeah. And I, I have this whole theory about SNL where the difference between a show that everyone says is great and a show that everyone says is bad is one sketch. Like there's always one funny (laughs) sketch. And if you have a second one, suddenly the show is great. If there was only one, it's like, eh, it was okay. But the writing on SNL has, is the key to the whole thing. So what do you, how do you feel about, 
you know, them not giving you the the Emmys. I mean, I guess in if I'm going to be honest about it, some years I do think we deserve it. And then there are many other years where I don't. Um, it's a, SNL is a high degree of difficulty. You know, we have a new person coming in. You know, one week we have to write stuff that's funny for Blake Shelton to say. And then the next week for <laughs> Kevin Hart. You know, it's not. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the John Oliver writers write for the same guy for half an hour. You know, it's, um, it, yes. they, in my opinion, and it's you not know, right. have it a little bit easier because it's one to one. Um, uh, you know, not to say I I think that you know that show is brilliant and deserves Emmys. Um, right, it's right. homework. Come on, yeah, I, I enjoy it. <laughs> it's comedy um, homework. It's great, but it's, it's I don't true. know. There's something to me that's a little galling about like I wouldn't go to England and start yelling about their politics on TV. <laughs> that's just me. Like, there's something about the show feels so rude to me. <laughs> yeah, I've seen you on the internet yelling for him to go home a few times. <laughs> I don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but uh, something that consoles me is we have hired uh, at least one writer who used to work for John Oliver and in my quiet moments you know I'll say to him are you glad you're at SNL he's like oh my god I'm so glad I'm at SNL so you know uh, um, there's that Uh, just one more little Emmy thing so I also wrote on the um, the 40th anniversary uh, which which Lauren Michaels brought in every writer for the past 20 years you know so that writing credits was you know, Smigel, uh, you know, Jim Downey, Paul Appel, uh, Tina Fey, Seth Meyers, you know, amazing writing staff. And, you know, they wrote that great special. I helped a little bit. I was one of, you know, 15. And we were up for an Emmy uh, and for writing. And we ended up losing to a Louis C.K. special you could only find on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) After that, I was like, I think they just don't want to give SNL any writing Emmys, which is fine. I'm I'm so at first I was like, eh, but I'm I'm just so grateful I've had the career I've had and been able to stay on the show. I I honestly don't care that much. It is yeah. hard. I, I I think you know people will will look at professional writers and anyone attached to the show who you know, especially if you're working in just an office of Aetna Health or something, and you go, <laughs> so wait a second, you get to work, you know, yeah, on this totally. thing that's lionized, that's on TV, that's exciting. And you totally. make good money. And then at the end of it, you're like, but they didn't give me a trophy. And it's yeah. like, it's, it's hard to <laughs> sympathetically convey that, you know, actually, it's it's just recognition from your peers that you want. And that, you know, they, as much as like a, a, a good player wants to be in the Hall of Fame or an all-star or something, you just want the industry you work in to say, hey, good job, you know. Yes, agreed. Yes. And I also think, you know, when they pit people up against each other, you know. Yeah. It's uh, then suddenly there's something inside you that's like, well, I want to be them, you know. Yes, yeah, of course. So, yeah. yeah, of course. Like, and I want to be up there pretending I don't deserve it, even though I think Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like when, when they announce the Emmy nominations for animated show every year, it's always like The Simpsons. And, you know, you can count out like Bob's Burgers is always up there now. But then instead of us every year there's always one show that's like hayachi the return and we're like what the <laughs> fuck is that like, yeah, I, I, there's I, always I, one show that you've never heard of i think same family guys in the same boat, boat as snl where people are like you know that show is really funny but i don't know about the writing you know it's, yeah. just, <laughs> it's the, the, the narrative has been written about it uh even though it's not necessarily true well yeah I, i'm i'm gonna skip ahead and go back just because you did mention the 40th anniversary show and i know there's you know, that was obviously a huge cultural touchstone and you got to work 
with Eddie Murphy, who was an idol of yours on that show. So yeah, so I'd always wanted to write for him. Um, I don't know if you remember his his segment, but basically, Lauren wanted to kind of honor him, you know, because he had really kept the show going in that you know 1981 to 83 period um yeah. would have been canceled without him so lauren wanted to honor him and lauren knew you know i loved him and it was like you know i'll put you on you produce the segment and eddie you know came in the day before and they approached him about being on a celebrity jeopardy he didn't want to do anything you know they were like uh how about just a little line is gumby didn't want to do anything and so people were a little maybe intimidated by him. Mm-hmm. Um, so then they had the the segment where he's supposed to come out and just, you know, accept as an honoree, you know, this, this, this moment. And he came out and, you know, in rehearsal and he, he was like, well, no one wrote anything for me to say. I'm not really sure what to say. And so uh, he left and I called his people. I, I, you know, met him that day and shook hands with him and stuff, but we didn't really collaborate because I didn't know if he wanted to. Yeah. Um, and so then I call these people. I was like, oh, you know, would, would he like something to say? And, uh, um, you know, I could write a draft of something. And they were like, that would be great. And so I sent just this five sentence thing, two little light jokes and another thing. And they looked at it and they were like, we love it, you know. And so then the show started the next night and Eddie came and it was like 15 minutes till showtime. And uh and they were like, you know, Eddie wants to see you. And I was like, okay. And so I came down and That's he looked cool. at the five sentence thing and he was like, eh, I don't know if I want to say this or I want to say this, <laughs> maybe not this. And he narrowed it down to two sentences. But <laughs> uh, I was like, okay, you know, he's Eddie Murphy, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so then he went up and said the two sentences and then they didn't quite know when to cut or you know, <laughs> was a little awkward. And so I felt really bad. You know, I was like, oh, that's what I'm going to what's going to happen with SNL, you know, and Andy Murphy. But luckily, like three years later, he got the host yes. and he came in in a much more um, different state of mind. Playful. You know, I, I talk with him before I wrote stuff and we ended up just talking about basketball and kids for like half an hour. Oh my. Uh, awesome. And then I co-wrote a Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood for him. Oh. And uh, and it went over great. And uh, like that was like all my Eddie Murphy dreams had, you know, had yeah. come true, you know, that. And so luckily, you know, years later, I got to make up for that. Oh, that's so awesome. Wow. That's Wait, I gotta, so awesome. I got to play. Yeah, I got goosebumps just thinking about it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. We, we mentioned this on the show before, but I played a very small role when I was writer's assistant there. And it it happened to be the week that David Spade told that savage joke about Eddie Murphy. Oh, on, yeah. On Weekend Update oh. where the picture of him and he said, look, kids, a falling star. And, oh, everyone, right. and <laughs> Eddie Murphy's people and Eddie Murphy himself were wanted to, you know, kick the shit out of Spade or like yell at him. Certainly. So I happened to get the call at the, the writer's assistant desk. Like, you know, can you find David Spade? I go to David Spade's office. It's Eddie Murphy's people. I said, it's, it's Eddie Murphy's people on the phone for you. And he's like, tell him I'm, tell him I'm not here. You couldn't find me. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I can't find him. Like a minute later, they call back. Eddie says he knows the schedule. He knows he's there. Go get him. Oh, so wow. That's when wow. Spade had to go. And I mean, I wasn't there for the phone call, but <laughs> you hear Spade tell it. He really got chewed out. Wow. Yeah. I mean, apparently that soured Eddie Murphy on the show for a decade and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Way to go, so, Spade. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. But uh, you told me you, you had a few other stories about that particular show 
with right, Wayne's the 40th. World. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I, the, another thing that they had me do was uh, produce Wayne's World. Um, oh. And, you know, uh, um, sat with Mike Myers, a few of us sat with Mike Myers while he wrote it, and Dana Carvey came in and, and did stuff. And I don't want to say we wrote it, we just kind of sat and acted as a sounding board for him. Yeah. You know, so Wayne's World, was, you know, the show is like four hours long. And Wayne's World is in like the second to last act. And, you know, it was interesting for me to see, you know, uh, Mike Myers and Dana Carvey are having such a fun time, you know, they're rehearsing it, you know, just among themselves in their dressing room. And then, you know, the clock is ticking and slowly it's it's coming up on uh, 11 o'clock or midnight, you know, whenever. Um, and they're starting to realize, like, could this get cut? Could they cut Wayne's World? <laughs> and it was... It, it was so interesting to me to see them suddenly become, you know, the first or second year cast member yeah. where oh. they're like, oh, my God, they might cut my sketch. <laughs> yes. right. I worked all week on this. And, and the and the, um, you know, the anxiety they had. Yeah. And then, you know, about uh, 10 minutes before they were like, OK, it looks like it's happening. And they went down into one of the makeup rooms and I went down there with them, you know, and I brought a cue card guy with me and they were like, OK. And they were just mad and excited oh, that's awesome. and they just rehearsed the shit out of it. Uh, and, and like, you know, and then they, you know, it was like an athlete warming yeah. up, you know, before, and then they went out on stage, you know, did it. People loved it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it was just so cool to see these guys who were easily in their fifties, you know, SNL icons. Yeah again go through that saturday night live grinder where all that anxiety came up and then it kind of came out and paid off you know that yeah. must have bonded them back then when they were performers cuz you know even even in my minimal role there you could see that happening week to week when people would yeah. hear what sketches made it and what were cut did you ever have like i'm sure you have but did you have sketches that you felt like that was hilarious and it got cut and I'm livid? Every week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every week. <laughs> I mean, you get, you get so that, you know, I, I've been there long enough so that I don't let it eat away inside of me. You yeah. know, it doesn't stay with me as long, nor do yeah. the, the victories. Right. Um, but yeah, all the time. Well, I you told me there was a, a, a story about, this wasn't a sketch getting cut, but apparently you having to make some cuts during a a sketch to oh, get it right, down right. and a celebrity had to like calm you down. <laughs> yeah, right. So that was my first year. Uh so again on this is a, this is one of those like uh last minute end of the show sketches. Uh, I'd written a sketch with Chris Parnell and Amy Poehler called uh Wine Enthusiasts where like you know they were super snobby wine enthusiasts and they would like take a little sip and they would be like I'm getting electronics, yeah. um, you know, just the weirdest, you know, stuff. This was the, this was maybe my third or fourth week on the show. And Antonio Banderas was hosting. And uh, I, I knew that they sometimes ask you to cut down your sketch at the very end of the show. Cause sometimes uh, your sketch is five minutes and they only have three and a half minutes of time before the show's over. So during uh, the musical guest, Mary J. Blige, they, I get called down and they're like, uh, your sketch is five minutes and 15 seconds. And we need you to cut it down to three and a half minutes. And I was like, okay, how much time do I have? And they were like uh, a little less than five minutes. Wow. I was like, okay. And I just was freaking out. And the cue card guy was like using his masking tape to just, I was just cutting, cutting, cutting. 
And then I ran out to Amy Poehler and I was like, okay, uh, uh, we, we cut this and we cut this and we cut this. And I ran out to Chris Parnell. I was like, we cut this, we cut this. And, and you know, they're used to it. They were like, okay, cool. Okay, cool. Uh, and then I ran out to Antonio Banderas and they were changing him. And I was like, I'm sorry to say, but we had to cut this sketch and it's this and this and this. And he grabbed me by the shoulders and he was like, calm down, calm down, calm down. Listen, listen, listen. This sketch, uh, this is my favorite sketch. I love this. Sketch. It's so creative. And I was like, oh, well, well, thank you. Uh, and and he's he's walking with his arm around me toward the set. And he's like, it's going to be great, man. It's going to be great. You know, and it pats me on the chest. And he's like, I love it. Uh, and then he sits down in this where he's supposed to sit. And I was like, well, I'm sorry we had to cut the shit out of it. And he laughs and he's like, ah, ah, ah. And then when the when it comes on, you see him go from laughing to suddenly get, getting back into character. So oh. like a half a second of him. Wow. And then the sketch so you, oh, that's you, were, you were calmed down by like the handsomest man in the world, basically. <laughs> <I> was, <yeah. laughs> they, they, they tend to have that effect on people if they want to turn it on. It's true. <laughs> that yeah. is great. That's very sweet. That's hilarious. I, you know, I was always fascinated by the process and and because uh, you, I don't know if you still are, but for quite a while, you, you were a head writer, one of the head yeah. writers there. And yeah, that's 2013 to 2018. Okay. So that means, you know, you're kind of overseeing a lot more, but it also means I, I assume that you get to be in there with Lorne and the guest when they're picking the sketches after yeah. the table read. Which, is which I, I was a supervising writer, and so I was in that meeting starting in like 2010. Okay, right. And was so, that a position you sought out, or that they plucked you for? Both. Yeah. You know, it's. Uh, I think you. You know, uh, Goldie, you probably can relate to this. Like, um, and Alec, I'm sure you too. But you know, uh, when you're outside, you know, SNL has a lot of closed doors where decisions are made, um, yeah. and then the decision comes out, and no, no one gives you a lot of feedback. And as a new writer, all you want to do is be in that room and be like, I can be part of it. And then after a while, you know, I realized at least that SNL is a monarchy. <laughs> you know, yeah. one man basically makes the decision with some advice from others. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, and and then after a while, I didn't didn't really care if I was in that room or not. And eventually what happened in 2018 was I was uh, burnt out from the head writer is a hard job. You stay up super late. Uh, you have to do a lot of stuff that you don't necessarily want to do. And uh, I I was like, I got to either leave or or change. And so uh, they were nice enough to work with me to create this position, senior writer, where basically I stay on and I just do less. Um, what a job. Uh, That's so awesome. I've been doing that since 2018. Oh, yeah. boy, you should you should try a head writer at Family Guy. There's no work. <laughs> <That's brave. laughs> um, but so I, I'm, I'm fascinated because I remember people the, the the performers and the writers while that meeting was going on like anxiously pacing the hallway you know yes. uh, trying to you know be close but not too close but they wanted to hear you know it's like waiting for uh, the cast list of a of a play in high school to get put up right. on the yeah. wall um yeah. you mean between dress and air no but but, but like basically on after wednesday the table night. read yeah oh, wednesday yeah. night when they decide yes, these yes. are the sketches we're going forward with and we're going to build the sets and costumes and all that kind of stuff so I'm curious, and I think you kind of answered it in your last answer, but it is a monarchy. And obviously, depending on the the juice level of the host, you know, if you have a yeah. Jim Carrey or somebody, obviously that's then it's going to be kind of a co-monarchy that week. Were yeah. there ever times 
where you in there with theoretically a voice, maybe not the most important voice in the room, did you take a stand for something that you helped to get in the show saying like, I believe in this. I know you guys are maybe thinking of not doing it, but I think this sketch is going to be gold. And then it went in and was gold. Rarely. Uh, I, Cause sometimes I would do that and Lauren would push back even harder. And oh. sometimes I found that if I did that, it would, it would do the, have the opposite effect of what I wanted. It would hurt. However, the um, uh, there definitely were a, a couple times of sketches where I was like, you know, I really like this one. And then I would say often, especially if there was a cast member that wasn't getting a lot on or, um, you know, someone who I thought, oh, this is a new voice for them. I would push for that, even if it did fine, you know. So, you know, in in service of, you know, let's try to get this other person out there a little bit more. uh, I would I would push for that. That's really nice. Yeah, that's there. There is. I've noticed in my own career this dynamic where people bring you in to help them, they really want you to agree with them most of the time to affirm (laughs) that they're a good leader and that they want the aura of having consulted your voice and having all, I heard all the outside opinions, but then when you actually do that pushing, it doesn't go over well. Yeah. Now, did you feel like, you know, I, I imagine your relationship with Lauren Michaels, it just goes up and down as, you know, I, you know, I would say my relationship with Seth MacFarlane has that, that were there times where you felt like, oh God, I have the hot hand. I'm, I'm doing it. I've solved it. Um, yes. And wh- how did those times come to an end then? Um, the, I would say the time I had the hottest hand was, uh, was when kind of Keenan was starting to be ascendant on the show. This is like, uh, 2010, 2011, uh, you know, we did what's up with that for the first love time love that. Um, yes. and I got promoted to supervising writer and the thing about it is, you know, I went in, I remember going in that room and w- Lauren you know, one, it was one of my first times in that room and Lauren being like, you know, Brian, do you like this one? And, uh, you know, sketch. And I would be like, yeah. And he would, you know, he would say, okay, it's in the show. Um, yeah. And I did not understand at that time, the outsized influence I, I had. Um, uh, and that lasted, you know, for a season or two and then, and then other people, you know, come up and, and that's just how it works at SNL. It's not like I, I, my voice was, was completely shut out. But there are definitely, you know, hot zones, hot patches. Hot zones. Yeah. yeah. And definitely, you know, when I at the end of my tenure as head writer, I was in a very rough zone where I could do almost no right. Um, wow. Uh, so something had to change. And luckily, again, they worked with me. And now I have a, a good, a really good relationship there. That's amazing. And, 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 you know, it's funny. I'm sure you you have a similar thing because at Family Guy, you know, we're our monarch is Seth. And, uh, you know, what he says goes at all times and he's kind of removed himself from a lot of the, a lot of it now, but we still get, you know, little requests or denials coming, coming in. And oftentimes we'll say like, oh, you know, this certain thing happened to, you know, this thing happened to Seth. So he's going to be in a terrible mood or this thing happened to Seth. So he's going to be in a great mood. And I'm sure there are things with Lauren where you're like, oh, he had his massage. He's very happy. Or like this, this thing happened. So this is a good day to talk to him versus a bad day. Yes. Agreed. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I I heard a, a story about a very prominent showrunner that the staff of the show a couple times put a $20 bill near his car 
so he would find a $20 bill (laughs) and feel like he was having a good day. And it worked. Oh, no. This like Pavlov's dogs. Yeah. This feels very anti-Semitic somehow. (laughs) It is. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Confirmed. Uh Um, So you brought up what's up with that. How did that come to be? Like, how did you and uh, I presume Keenan, how did you guys come up with that? What's up with that? Me, Keenan, and a writer named Rob Klein. Keenan said, I want to do this talk show where the theme song kind of never ends. That was kind of his thing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, that sounds interesting. And then, you know, we he we have this process where he and I talk for anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour about something. And then he goes off and I write it and then he reads the draft. Yeah. Um, and so we talked about it for a little bit. And then with Rob. And we, you know, we, we started kind of realizing that, you know, okay, this should, this should crescendo each time it should get a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. What can we add? And once it clicked into us that we could add whatever the hell we wanted, you know, (laughs) you know, just throw in, you know, anything that sounds fun, that was, that just unlocked it for us, you know? And so like, you know, Jason Sudeikis, uh, you know, we, I've seen him dance at the after parties. And I was like, Oh, I love that. dance." You know? And so I worked with him to like, you know, what kind of costume do you want to wear and what do you want to, how do you want to dance? And, you know, it also follows my sensibility, which is also Keenan's sensibility, which is, you know, uh, um, silly and big, uh, but, but kind of with a lot of heart, you know, underneath it and fun. Right. Um, And and how did the Lindsay Buckingham detail come in? I remember we, we decided we would have a third guest, um, who just didn't say anything. I love that. And I was like, well, this person has to look like somebody, but not, but we just know him from the look, you know, not from any kind of impression. And I was like, Lindsay Buckingham has kind of this weird hair, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> let's, let's give Bill that. And, you know, of course, Bill brought so much to it just with his mannerisms and stuff. Always. Um, and, and so then we didn't even think that by the second time we did it, that Lindsay Buckingham will be back. But then we were like, let's bring Lindsay Buckingham back. And then he's there every time and he never says, you know, anything. So, uh, such yeah, a we did that sketch. sketch. 13 times oh my god including uh it had been dead or not dead but we hadn't done it we did it a weird one over the pandemic where we just shot it on our you know at home yeah uh but then we did a really nice one when jason hosted last season which was really fun first time we had done it in the studio and since gosh 2011 i guess we did a small version of it at the 40th anniversary but yeah it's a great sketch was there ever talk of making that one into a, a movie no, <laughs> um, Lauren wasn't into like the, the sketch. I think he had been, he was just never, when, during my tenure there, he was just not into the, like, let's make a sketch a movie. Uh, it, as, do you think that was because it gives the cast outsized power then and becomes hard to manage? Or do you think it was because it, like those movies were a staple, I feel like of my yeah. youth you know, Wayne's World being the most memorable yeah. one that immediately comes to mind. But I remember like it's Pat, whatever. And I was there for all of them. I liked all of them. Yeah. So what happened to those? I can't, I don't know. I can't give you a good answer. Um, it must have been uh, so hit or miss. That's what it is. I mean, like Wayne's yeah. World hit huge, but the not... Tommy Boy and like the, the Spade yeah. Farley ones. And and I mean, wasn't I, Will Ferrell there when he was doing some of his or am I 
Do I have it completely? Night of the I think when he did Superstar, yeah, yeah he was, yeah, and maybe Roxbury too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know, I mean, this we're going to get really inside Hollywood, but I think Good. after Wayne's World, Paramount made a deal with Lauren to do a certain amount of movies, you know, mm. and so that like there was that, and I know that deal kind of ran out, you know, by the time I got there. So that might contribute to it. Yeah, that, uh, that would anyway. make sense. Yeah, I think they got, I mean, they hit such a home run with Wayne's World. Yeah. And probably yeah. there was a temptation to keep going. But a lot of those movies, while funny, like the Pat movie was funny, but nobody saw it. Like it was mm-hmm. a, a famous bomb. And the, <laughs> you know, there was um, even I know Lauren has to, you know, is involved with kids in the hall as well. And they did their movie, which was very funny, but was a famous bomb. And also I heard that it was a non Lauren approved Lauren impression. Right. That Mark McKinney did, which sort of soured him on, on you know, all the kids in the hall. Um, so maybe he just felt like, you know what, we we got the best one already and now we're yeah. just chasing it. Yeah, it could be. To try be. and get Lauren's um, head. Yeah, I've never asked him about it. Uh, just a, a fun fact about SNL movies. The Stuart Saves His Family is probably the biggest bomb out of all those movies. And it is also Leslie Jones's favorite movie of all time. <gasps> <Really>? <laughs> To see Leslie Jones when he, she first met Al Franken and she Aww. went crazy. And, you know, Al Franken is like, oh, because, you know, of course, I worked at SNL for 20 years and have written some of the greatest sketches. And she was like, no, I never saw any of those. Stuart <laughs> saves his family. <laughs> uh, it's my favorite movie of all time. Oh, my time. God. I love it was Leslie. a surprisingly poignant movie. I remember that. It was funny oh, and poignant, uh, but nobody saw it. it. Nobody yeah. saw it. So you you alluded to Sudeikis dancing at the after party. And the after parties are sort of this known thing in show business. And, and we never get this at Family Guy, right? Like, we never get, well, we aired that animated episode, so let's all get together with some celebrities in a cool <laughs> right. bar yeah. and go out. But uh, this is something you've now gotten to do for, what, 20 years. And, I mean, do you have any stories or big memories from any of those that I mean the the SNL 40th anniversary after party was a a night that I don't think will happen in show business almost ever again certainly to me right um that was uh you know by the way I'm uh my my tentative plan is to stay at SNL until the 50th anniversary which is in two years uh and that will be huge but anyway the 40th anniversary you know, there's a huge party. Every celebrity you've ever known is there. And then there's a stage up front and uh, it's just, um, you know, there's just instruments. There's no plan. Uh, And then Jimmy Fallon gets up and is like, if anyone wants to come up here and play, we'd love it, you know? And so- I thought Jimmy uh, Fallon gets up and and everyone's like, oh no. And then he goes, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, I know that's, I said that, not you. But, you know, there's like, it's it's like, does anyone want to volunteer? There's always like a, a you know, no one wants to be the first one, but then yeah. once it's going. You should so, have gone then, up. That would have been incredible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. These are jokes I honed at DTUT. <laughs> uh, so um, the women from Haim, the rock group mm-hmm. Haim get up oh, and yeah. they play a couple yeah. of songs. And then that kind of breaks the seal. And then Elvis Costello gets up and plays oh a couple God. songs. And then the Haim ladies stay. 
And then um, Taylor Swift gets up and starts oh playing. God. And then she invites Paul McCartney to get up. So oh. it's Taylor Swift, Paul McCartney. Oh uh, and then Bill Murray is up and playing, you know, Dan Aykroyd is playing harmonica. Oh. Um, and then so, and then, uh, you know, so that there's like seven or eight of those songs with everybody playing. Uh, and then I didn't even know he was there. Then Prince, Prince. comes up on the stage. Oh my and God. He plays, and I'm, you know, 20 feet away oh my uh, God. enjoying it and everybody is up there i have pictures you know it's just amazing and beyonce was there but decided to just sit and watch uh um but i mean i just don't know another situation where you'll get all those people together especially no. spontaneously yeah uh, well, certainly yeah. not prince the, yeah um <laughs> the after after party when Chappelle hosted the first time yeah. that was yeah. pretty really amazing after the first after party he had his own one at yeah. the cutting room and um I walked in and, and um uh Buster Rhymes was was performing and I was like what is happening right now and yeah. that was just the beginning of and for me you know, I didn't I wasn't there for the 40th after party because I started after that show yeah. Um, in this 40th season. But um, for me, the Chappelle one I heard was the closest thing to that. But Yeah, yeah amazing. I, I was there for 15 minutes because oh. I was so exhausted after that show. Yeah, sure. Like, you know, Dave, that was like his first thing on big mainstream, mm -hmm. you know, comedy coming back. And and yeah. like I was one of his very few friends there. And so I helped to, he and, and Neil Brennan, uh, you know, came. Neil Brennan's Dave's like was Dave's like main writing partner for Chappelle right. and stuff. Could could I set that up a little bit for our, our audience? Because they yeah. you so you have this relationship with Dave Chappelle. You came out of Chris Rock. We all knew Neil Brennan, who was a stand up and still is a stand up and very funny and has a new special out. And he kind of solicited informally. I felt a, with stand ups, he's like, hey, if you want to write some sketches, yeah, uh, for this new thing, Chappelle show, you can do it. And you. I remember did it and got some on and were even there till the end where Dave walked off. So please talk about that because that show was incredible. Your sketches were incredible. Unbelievable. And I think the story has become kind of legendary. Um, sure. So uh, in the first season, it was just Dave and Neil writing. But Neil, who I had a relationship with, I didn't know Dave that well. He was like, we're starting the show on Comedy Central. If you have any ideas, send them in. He knew me from Chris Rock's show on Stand Up. And so I sent some sketches in that didn't get in, in up on a pilot, but got on in the first season, uh, including the player haters ball, uh, which was kind of a <laughs> sketch for them in the first yep. season. Um, and they and I got a couple others on that weren't all that notable. And at that time, I was writing for Tough Crowd with Con Quinn on Comedy Central. Uh, and, you know, the, for the second season, they were like, maybe you can come and work your full time. But I was working on Tough Crowd Con Quinn and it wasn't it was kind of frowned upon in Comedy Central to poach a writer from one show to another. Right. So I kept submitting. Meanwhile, and, you're like, please poach me. Well, <laughs> it was weird. I was like, I can do both, you know. Yeah. Um, then for the second season, I submitted the um, the race draft, um, which was probably Huge. before what's up with that and stuff, probably the sketch people would know me from the best. And, uh, you know, that went over really well. And so by the late in the second season, they hired me full time and it was Dave and Neil. And then me as kind of a real third wheel, uh, Dave and Neil wrote 90% of this show. And then they had, uh, other writers write a few things. And by that time, by the time I got there, the show wasn't going great. Dave was tired of it. Um, he was a little, uh, not as enamored from it, uh, uh, by it. Um, and then they started the third season. Um, 
And by that time, like Dave would sometimes just not show up, you know, and uh, I just remember maybe three months in David already, he had already taken a long break, you know, and then they started the third season again, restarted it. And then we were supposed to shoot this like Wolfman monster thing that day. And we were all sitting around set. And I just remember the executive producer being like, uh, Dave is not here and he is not coming back. Um, <laughs> so we just want everyone to go home and I guess we'll see. And so everyone went home and they never came back to work again oh, that day. It was just a it was just a very bewildering, weird, you know, time. And yeah. then, you know, a day or two later we read that he's in Africa and uh um, yeah. <laughs> probably not gonna be there that day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I mean, before we start to get into the to Goldie's top five here today, I, I you're at SNL now and and as we, we talked about before we started recording, like that's a show that I just I've seen I watched it forever you know even despite the love-hate relationship that Goldie and I have with that show like I watch it religiously and again again this is all based on the personal being snubbed and not the content no yeah the cast which we love and think is great love the product pure envy yes it's all I'm I'm the first one to admit it's it's good sometimes it's bad sometimes and that's part of its magic you know yes yes absolutely and it's fun to discuss you know water cooler um, but are there people coming up now on the show that we should be keeping our eye on? Are there, there are mm. things going on there now that you're kind of excited about? Cause I know there've been some cast changes recently. Big cast changes. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, um, you know, seeing who kind of starts to break out here now that, uh, Kay McKenna and A.D. Bryan, Cecily and, you know, Cecily was Cecily's big. I, I, yeah. I was a guy who, uh, wrote the Janine Pirro stuff with her. So, yeah. uh, right. Uh, she was really important, you know, to me, uh, and her leaving is tough. Um, uh, I, to answer your question, um, I, I think, you know, I, I hope you will see people who have been there a while, uh, you know, start to make their mark like, uh, um, Ego Wodum and Heidi Gardner. Yes. Uh, Sarah Sherman, uh, has a lot of fans already, you know, I mean, uh, there's uh, James Austin Johnson is incredible at impressions, but I've also seen him do really funny characters. And I think, you know, he's kind of somewhere in between Daryl Hammond and Dana Carvey. And I would oh, like yeah. to see him be more of a Dana Carvey on the show. Uh, yeah. I would like him to get that opportunity. Um, he's the one who plays you know, Trump. Yeah. I mean, there's always, you know, uh, super funny stuff every, every week. And I, I just hope, uh, some more of it will come out, uh, we we have a new cast member this year named Molly Macronini, and they've got kind of a Melissa McCarthy vibe, uh, and I think you'll Amazing. you'll see a lot from them. Oh, this cool! Season. Yeah, awesome. Um, I like her so far. We can't let you go without talking about Black Jeopardy, sure. Because <laughs> yes. I I feel like that's a sketch that so broke through, was yeah. you know, is really like in the vernacular. And you told me that there were two times at least that it almost didn't go to air that the the host really had qualms about doing it and then of course we're so glad they did yeah um well the the two best ones in my opinion are the tom hanks one where he's the Mm -hmm. the trump supporter and then the chadwick boseman one and Mm -hmm. those the chadwick boseman one was more one that that the host maybe had qualms with because he was so uh protective of the um t'challa black panther character you know when we first said uh you know black panther on jeopardy on black jeopardy he was like i don't know i don't want to make fun of this guy yeah 
And he, you know, and Walter White's like, "What about Walter White on Jeopardy?" Brian Cranston. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyway, so we read it out loud. Uh, um, you know, he wasn't he he understood it. People thought it was funny, but he still wasn't totally into it. And then Leslie Jones like was like, "Dude, you gotta trust it. You just gotta trust it." <laughs> uh, and then we did it, you know, in rehearsal, and it got huge laughs. And then by that time, he like he started to loosen up a little bit and he started to really have fun with it. And he added in this line uh, of uh, in the face, which is from coming to America. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, um, and the Tom Hanks one, I think Tom Hanks was always on board, but he didn't quite get the character until like air. He was doing slightly different things. Like he was doing like a Dan Aykroyd Midwestern thing and he was trying to figure it out. And by far the best version he did was, was on right. air and that, you know, I said earlier, that's probably the sketch out of everything I've written for SNL. That's probably the one I'm most proud of. So, Well, I got to say, man, as someone who has known you from not quite the beginning of your career, but from pretty close, yeah. like just so impressed with all you've done. And it's, it might be a little weird but I, to say, but I'm, I'm like very proud of you. Like I, <laughs> I know <laughs> how you were from the beginning, a hard worker. And, you know, you've just you're the same guy. Like you just brought the same mentality on a much bigger stage and succeeded on that stage beyond where I think any of our group of comics ever thought any of us would go. And like, you you really have been like the tip of the arrow. And well, thank uh, you. I you mean, know. I'm, I'm proud of you and I'm proud of, of our group. You know, a bunch of our people we came up with have, have had very nice jobs in comedy. And I, I'll also temper that by saying you and I both know so much of it is, is some luck, you know, and getting sure. being in the right place at the right time. You know, we're so lucky, you and I both, that we're on a, shows that have lasted this long. Um, and, uh, you know. We have the Gen X skill of not getting fired. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's what it boils down to. So why don't we go into top five? Top five. So I propose this category. So I go first, as we yes. know. Uh, and this is top five things you wish you could be named if you didn't have your name. So <laughs> yes. here, here are my top five. Number five, Ray Ray. <laughs> you nice. wish you were I would like Ray to Ray. be called Ray Ray. I think yeah. that would be a good name for me. It yeah. would work. Ray Ray. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number four, Javier. Uh, oh. I think like, it would give me an air of mystery. Yes. Oh, my Javier gosh. You and, I, you and I are going to, anyway... Well, wow. uh, this is this is where I think we may weirdly be in sync. Uh -huh. Number three, Cantavius. <laughs> yes, I like. I think yeah. that would just be. Is Cantavius and, like smooth, or is is he like mysterious? He's both? loud. He's yeah, loud, okay. and he just right. says what's on his mind. Cantavius. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he has no filter. <laughs> Can't rein him in. Uh, number two is more quiet, more thoughtful. Mohammed. But he goes Ooh, by Mo to yes. his friends. Yeah. And number one is what I use, which is not my real name, which is Julius. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. Very nice. And I feel like, Brian, you would sort of, you kind of refer to him as Julius when we were talking about him on the phone. Is that possible? Or did I make that up? Yeah. Yeah. yeah for many years, we just called him Sharp or Julius Sharp. Uh, yeah. I love that. Julius. So then go ahead, Brian. Sure. My, mine is, a, there's some overlap here. Oh, what? Uh, That's yeah. Crazy. Number, well, I mean, not exact, but, but, right, but overlap so... in tone. Yes. Uh, um, number five, Big Jake. <laughs> <laughs> I 
you know, people can tell stories about me when I'm not there. And they're like, and then Big Jake came in and all the dogs got quiet. Uh, this is one, uh, Goldie and I, we like, we love basketball. This is old school ABA name, Sweet Tucky B. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Stroke a jump shot. And again, you loved an air of mystery. I wanted to be mysterious. So El Cocodrillo. <laughs> the crocodile. Yes. He oh. moves quick in the night. El Cocodrillo. <laughs> uh, number two, uh, Colonel. You know, oh. I just I walk down like a long hallway. Someone tip their hat to me and say, well, hey there, Colonel. I just, Are you in a white be... suit in that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would be very dignified. Uh, and number three, um, I, I said this earlier, but I um, I wrote uh, one of my great moments was uh, after writing that uh, player haters ball sketch in the Chappelle show finale party, Ice-T was there and I went up and shook his hand and told him, you know, uh, you know, I wrote that player haters ball sketch that you were in and you said all these jokes that I wrote. And he went, you did that? You're a real motherfucker, man. Uh, <laughs> so the number one thing I would like to be called is a real motherfucker. <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, that's great. Um, okay. So mine are not as obviously funny or creative, um, but I'm not a comedy writer. So um, my number five, ISIS. Ooh. <laughs> ISIS? Yeah. ISIS is Like fun. a terrorist organization. <laughs> right, but no. Okay. Like oh, the like... goddess. The... <laughs> oh, <laughs> the... okay. But that's not like real. You're going to constantly be clarifying to everyone as you introduce well, yourself. Well, at this point, yes. Yeah. There used to be a band called ISIS before that terrorist group yeah. became known. You're you're probably younger than us, but there was a show in the 70s with a with an ISIS character, like a, in the Saturday morning that was oh. a, a companion show to Shazam. Technical difficulties. Please stand by. Oh, there he is. Hello. Hi. Sorry, I'm on a phone. How janky. We're we're midway through top five. Yeah. Okay. Can I get a quick highlight so I can laugh at a couple? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Uh, So I I had Ray Ray, Javier, Cantavius, Muhammad, and Julius. Okay. Good. Good. (laughs) Big Jake, Sweet Hucky B. El Cocodrillo. Oh. Colonel. Uh, uh, and a real motherfucker. Oh, those are great. Mine are terrible. All right, okay. go ahead, JC. Okay, so five was ISIS, not the terrorist yeah. group, but the goddess. That that's just a ridiculous one. Number four, Diana de Guacamo. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Diana. Um, number four, Sloan. Sloan oh, Brooks. Oh, give you a great Sloan. Thank you. Sloan, dear. Come along, Sloan. <laughs> <laughs> number five, four, three. Number three, Coco. Similar to Coco Drio, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Coco. Yeah. Um, number two, Jacqueline. This is, this is, I took it a little seriously. And number classy. one, <laughs> very classy. It's my mother in law's name as well. Um, number one, Sydney. You can call me Sid. Oh, Sid. Just call Sydney me Sid. Sweeney. Yeah. <laughs> Influenced. I love those. Well, I love you. those. All right. I'm, I'm going to get into mine before this internet conks out again. Yeah. And I, I, I was different. I did first and last. So Ooh, bear awesome. with me. Okay. Number five, Branson Musk. <laughs> Some, somehow I'm making money off that deal. Branson he goes to Musk. a lot of outdoor music festivals. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Hilarious. Um, 
Number four, I have Taj Duckworth. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> I just love the first name Taj and Kevin Duckworth. Rest in peace. Oh. Uh, number three, here's another mashup that's easy to figure out. Brad Clooney. Oh, hey, there's Brad Clooney. Doug. Yes. <laughs> and uh, number two, this is one just pulled from, uh, you know, literature, Bilbo Baggins. Ooh, Bilbo. Of Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> Uh, and and number one again pulled from something else. I think it's the coolest name maybe in movie history. Lightning McQueen. Ooh. Oh, I thought you were gonna say Eddie Barzoon. Oh, oh damn it! I blew it. Eddie Barzoon from The Devil's Advocate, Golden's favorite name. Um, anyway, so those are my top five. And and again, before I cut out here. Uh, technical difficult technical difficulties please stand up <laughs> so uh next week's top five as payback for goldie for this difficult one <laughs> it's going to be top five songs with a choir in it oh, oh. very 80s <laughs> 80s start <laughs> your research and before i forget we have another fantastic guest next week next week hbo max exec extraordinaire <laughs> Susanna Makos. <laughs> will be here with us to provide a perspective from the other side of the business and perhaps to answer for dads because she was really the one responsible. I blame her. Uh, but we're, we're excited for that. Yes. Um, now let's end our show like we do every week with a high note. Oh, thank you, Tom Gamble and Max Prost. That's lovely. Um, my high note, this week, broken record, family, family. We're on a run here with the nice. family. We're, we're, we've gone from the Cape to California. Now we're in Colorado. And I don't want to jinx it. I'm knocking on wood right here. No fights. Ooh, no fights. It's wow. going great. So, you know, I, listen, I got a week and a half left, but knocking hard on that wood, yeah. going great. Nice. Um, I'll go next. I, my high note was... A little surprise from Goldie and Alec. Um, I get a text from Goldie, just says, hey, can I just drop something off? I'm not sure what it is. Very thoughtful. Was a gift certificate, gift card to cheese. Cheese. <laughs> I mean, I, as you people who listen may know, I like cheese. I have a cheese uh -huh. journal, and I will be adding to my cheese journal. Thank you so much, guys. You guys, I got to give Goldie all the credit for that. That was he. He remembered that you should get a gift, and he thought of the gift. So, yes. and I believe he paid for it. So, I, I will gladly stand in his reflected sunlight. Thank you, Goldie. Small token, small, <laughs> very stinky token. <laughs> for real, I really appreciate it. Uh, Brian, you you want to participate in this or nah? Uh, I'm I'm taking my mom tonight to a Carolina basketball game. Ooh, That's one of the yes. presents on her, nice. and uh, we both love that, and we're going to have a good time. Oh, I love awesome. that. That's a great awesome. idea. Uh, for me, it's 2023. This has already been the best year of my life. <laughs> we were about four hours into it, and I had already had sex, watched about Schmidt and taken what will probably be my biggest shit of the year. And I was like, it's all happening for me, man. Like, this is amazing. So, so far, I got to give it the highest marks of any year. Yeah. Can, can, can we say Goldie takes a Schmidt? <laughs> you can say that. And you just did. <laughs> um, all right. Well, 
we want to thank our our guest brian tucker brian thank you, thank you so thank much you. for being here it's uh it's so great to hear from inside the world of snl that we are clearly obsessed with and will never get over and we're we're very happy for all the success that you've had there and thank you for sharing that with us Thanks. Thank you Thanks for being for here. Yeah. Really enjoy the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. And I want to thank everyone out there for listening and Goldie and JC. Thank you two for being awesome. And thank we you. will talk to you again next week. Or we could talk to him again in March. That was fun. And it's fast right now. potato dropped into the fryer now it's fried